Oh, yeah, we're eating on mic. I'm going to mute it when we actually come back. I just wanted to eat my pickle. <laughs> I would not have guessed that was what you were eating. I thought it was a bag of chips. Yes. Uh, good evening and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework? The pop culture podcast, words are hard, uh, connecting academic ideas to popular media. I am one of your co-hosts, Martha Sullivan, um, and I am going to be honest with you guys. I don't have a pithy title for myself tonight um, because it has it is the end of just an extremely long week and I don't have the brain space for it now. But I am joined, as always, by my other co-host. Uh, I am Pete Romberg, and I am a fair-weather basketball fan right now because the Milwaukee Bucks are, well, they're, they're literally currently, as we're recording this, losing to the Boston Celtics. But by the end of this episode, they will have come back from behind and won. And, like, I don't care about basketball, but I like when teams in cities I live in do good. So, go Bucks. That's also, fair. we just spent a lot of money on their brand new stadium, so, like, they better do, like, come on, guys. Were those tax dollars at work? Oh, you better believe those were tax dollars at work. <laughs> uh, we are also joined today by returning guest and friend of the podcast. Uh, Liz, have you officially changed your name yet, or are you still Lizzie Bueller? Um, so Bueller is my middle name now. So like my work signature is Elizabeth Bueller Meyer. Oh. Fancy. I know. When I sign my name for work, I leave out the Bueller, even though it's still part of my name because it's long and cumbersome. <laughs> Marin has still not officially changed hers. And at this point, it like, I've never cared one way or the other. So at this point, it's like, yeah, we'll see if she does. That's putting um, her Lucas... on blast on the air. <laughs> well, and Lucas still has to change his middle name to Bueller at this point. Ooh, nice. Fancy. Gender equity, y'all. Yeah. Hooray. Uh, Liz, how are you doing tonight? I am very ready to go on vacation tomorrow. <laughs> so ready. Um, I have an extremely optimistic pile of books that I'm sure I won't even get halfway through, but... It's better to have too many than to run out. Yes, I have a very sad alarm set for 4.30 in the morning, so that's exciting. Gross. Yes. Uh, Today we are going to be talking about a little movie that just came out. You may have heard of it, uh, Avengers Endgame, um, and sort of the impact that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has had on our pop cultural landscape, um, the how spoiler culture uh is it out of control um spoiler alert yes uh and just the the uh footprint that the marvel cinematic universe juggernaut uh has left and will leave on uh film and popular culture but before that we are going to take a brief minute to tell you what is stuck in our heads this week. What pop culture have we uh, not stopped thinking about? What are we really enjoying? Um, Lizzie, what's stuck in your head this week? Um, well, I was all planning to come on here and talk about Vampire Weekend's new album. I was wondering but... if you were. 
I haven't finished listening to it because it is long. Yep. Um, but so far, I like it, and I'm seeing them in a couple weeks, and I'm very excited. Um, you, sorry, to pause real quick, we have literally the exact same um, summary of that album up to and including seeing them in a couple weeks. So Are you are they in Milwaukee or are you going to Chicago? They're in Milwaukee, but I'm going to be a little bit busy in Iowa City at my brother's wedding, so I'm going to see them in Madison. Oh, yeah. I see, I see. Yeah, so... Uh, anyway, the same thing where it, the album's too long, uh, or not too long, but long enough that I haven't finished. Yes. Um, but so what I will talk about today is I finished a book this week called The Incendiaries by R.O. Kwan. It is a book that was on a lot of best of lists when the year it was published, which was, um, 2018. And it is uh, told from the perspective of Will, um, who is a former evangelical Christian who kind of loses his faith and transfers from an evangelical college to an Ivy League kind of equivalent. And he meets this woman, Phoebe, who he kind of falls in love with. And as they're together, Phoebe discovers or is sort of indoctrinated into this cult on campus that is kind of a Christian themed cult. Um, I really loved this book. I thought it was incredibly well written. I also think it was kind of interesting uh, take on the sort of manic pixie dream girl male obsessive thing because Will, the whole book is told from his perspective, but there are chapters where he is kind of writing or thinking like what like Phoebe's perspective or the cult leader's perspective would be. And I just, I don't know, it just was really fascinating and I think um, really kind of was more about his perception of things rather than like accurately, like this is what they were thinking. And so just, yeah, I don't know, I would highly recommend it. It really, I found to be powerful and one of the better books I've read in a while. I'm always down for a good cult book. Oh yeah. And this cult leader is very interesting. (laughs) Well, I read The Girls on your recommendation, so I am looking forward to enjoying this one as well. I hadn't actually heard of it before, so this will be... I've been in sort of a a run of reading actual, like, adult books recently, which has been kind of refreshing. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, looking forward to this one. Pete, what's stuck in your head? I, uh, last couple days I've been binge-watching, um, season six and the new season seven of Veep. Uh, I watched most of Veep kind of on a go, like, two years ago, um, but since then, like, two other seasons have come out and I just slept on them, so now I'm watching them. Season seven is currently airing, so I'm, I'm not yet caught up, but I'm pretty close, um, for those unaware, Veep is an HBO show about Selena Meyer, played by, uh, Julie, uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus, uh, written or created by Armando Iannucci, who also did In the Loop and In the Thick of It. Um, it's amazing. It's politics, it's humor, it's crass as all get out, and, um, keeps winning Emmys. Uh, I was gonna say, is anyone not aware of Veep at this point in time? not sure, but, like, sure, that, like, the quick run is it's politics, but not like West Wing. (laughs) More, more uh, like in the thick of it. Yeah. 
Pete, when did the Armando Inucci leave the show? Ooh, that's a great question, and I don't know the answer. Because we, like, I used to be really into Veep, and I feel like there was, I don't remember what season it was, but it seemed like kind of a quality shift for me. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was just, like, because he left, I expected it to not be as good, or if it actually wasn't as good. I mean, I it's also, like, it's a lot of rise and fall and rise again storylines, and some mm-hmm. of those are done better than others. Um, I think she's always better when she's, like, struggling to win rather than when she's actually like one and is now trying to be a leader um because she's not good at that she's also not good at like running but um that's at least a little more interesting yeah i think maybe it was the season where it was more about her like uh foundation i mm-hmm. don't know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's been a while I... Yeah, my dark secret is that I've tried to watch Veep, like, four times, and I always get stuck in the middle of season one and, like, kind of wander away to other stuff, which is which is not great because I enjoy, like, I legitimately enjoy what I've watched. Just for some reason, I don't feel, like, a burning need to continue to go back to it. I kind of think it's a show where if you feel like you get stuck, you can skip, like, three episodes ahead and... Like, it's all plot all the time, but it's not, like, serious plot, so you'll you'll probably catch up quickly, and then you'll, you can see if the new storyline is any better than the last one. But what if I miss something important? <laughs> uh, they recap it on the previous Leons. <laughs> ah, fair. Uh, so I initially had something different written in my Stuck in My Head. Um, I was going to talk about Big Little Lies, which I just started watching, Ooh. but... Zombie came back this week, and while I haven't watched the new episode yet, I'm so excited that this show is back. Um, it's great. It is in its final season, um, but I, I think it is the creators are coming to the end of the story they wanted to tell rather than the show is being canceled, which is always nice. Um, but the show is great, and I feel like it never really gets talked about in the way that I want it to. Um, For anyone who's not familiar with it, it is a procedural set in Seattle where the main character is uh, Liv Moore, who is a medical student in episode one until she goes to a party. That name name just clicked real quick and it was like, die hard? Oh wait, what? What, What's going on? It's absurd. Um, (laughs) She goes to a party on a boat where that breaks out into um, like some sort of chaos uh, and then she gets bitten and turned into a zombie. Um, she discovers that by eating brains, she can keep her sentience. So she's like a she's not a shambling like rotting dead thing she's mostly human she just every week or so needs to eat a human brain um and in order to keep herself in brains she gets a job at the uh, police morgue <laughs> um where she has easy access to it i did not know this was the plot of the show this is way better than whatever i like i didn't even know where to begin thinking about the plot and this is better than anything i could have come up with Um, No, it gets better because every time she eats a brain for a short period of time, she imprints the personality and memories of the person whose brain she ate 
and then she helps solve crimes. <laughs> um, as the show goes on, it becomes like the zombie thing gets bigger and it becomes more about that. Um, but at its roots, it is a procedural where one of the characters is a zombie pretending to be a psychic. And it, it hasn't won all the Emmys? Why did Veep win more Emmys than, uh, than this amazing show? Martha, is it the same person that did Veronica Mars that created this? Um, no, it is... Doop doop. Rob Thomas is the creator of this show. I'm assuming not Matchbox 20 Rob Thomas. <laughs> oh, no, you're question. right. He is the he, he is the Veronica Mars guy. I mean, I sorry. But he's not the Matchbox that. 20 guy. Um, He is not. Yeah, he's not the Matchbox 20 guy, although the Matchbox 20 guy does get a cameo in one of the later seasons. Uh, we are going to take a quick recess, and when we come back, we are going to get into Endgame. Um, just so you're aware, there will be spoilers on this episode. Um, we just did not feel like we could really talk about what we wanted to talk about. So if you haven't seen Endgame, maybe put a pause on this one until you do. Um, but at this point, I feel like people who really wanted to see Endgame have already seen it. So... Consider this your official spoiler warning. Because we are a millennial pop culture podcast, there was no way we were going to avoid doing an episode on Marvel Endgame. Um, but we also, in addition to in addition to getting into our feelings about Endgame, are also going to spend some time looking at the impact that Marvel has had on our pop culture landscape. This is a ten year odyssey that Marvel has taken us on. Uh, Iron Man debuted in 2008 and there have been 22 movies uh, that encompass the Marvel Cinematic Universe this has been a saga (laughs) (laughs) Um, before before we get into it we're going to be we're also going to be talking a little bit about spoiler culture uh, and where we go from here now that this phase is over but the big question I want to ask you guys is here at the end of it all do we think it worked? Parts of it better than others, I would say. When when you say it, do you mean the entire, like, do you mean the experiment of a massively connected movie universe? Or do you mean... I do. Oh, then well, I... Well, because when, when, I th- when I think about what they have done, they have asked their movie-going public to invest an incredible amount of time and resources into a story that they said, this is going to take us 10 years to tell. And... So I, you know, I it, don't... It, 
I, I, I would disagree with that framing because, like, to me it's more that they had this idea ten years ago to create an interconnected story. And as it went on, they figured out the broader arcs. Because there's no way in the world that even at the end of Phase 1, um, which ended with Avengers, that they knew that this was how it was going to end. They knew that Thanos was a big bad, but not that this was the end game, as it were. Well, except that you, they have Thanos showing up at, in the end credit sequence of Avengers. I mean, right. I think they had to at least have had... Well, and these movies also take multiple years to make. Mm, yeah. So I I don't know I don't know what the timeline is, but I I, I do think that when they started, I think they they had to have like this platonic ideal of a notion that like this would work. I I would say that I 100% think that their moonshot idea of telling a crazy interconnected many movie story with a bunch of b-lister superheroes that nobody cared about in 2010 um or even knew existed is 100 percent successful because it made 1.22 billion dollars in the first weekend alone um and like you know disney between this and soros and all the rest has an absolute license to print money um, I also think that it, like, it absolutely changed movie making and superhero culture, uh, and everything. I, I think it's the biggest, like, it's a crazy success story. It fumbles when we have, when we talk about individual movies, and it fumbles when we talk about, like, the overarching story arc and how there's enough plot holes to drive, um, some thing that you that is big that you can <laughs> drive some bottles <laughs> yeah sure um but i like the idea that you are that you are able to draw the crowds you draw on a movie like on a movie that had audiences cheering about a d-list superhero character reappearing in it uh in the theaters i was in people were literally chanting shuri when she showed up again like that is insanity um it's exciting insanity but it's it's insanity lizzie you sounded more skeptical well and i think that because when pete you were talking it's like yeah obviously like if we look at how the movies have done and how like people they've made so much freaking money from this so like for them yes i would say for me personally i I think that Endgame really showed and, like, capitalized on the affection and the history that we have with these characters in a way that, like, I don't know if there's really any media I can think. I mean, like, Harry Potter, but you know what mm. I mean? It's, like, something that we have 10 years of history with and being concluded so in an emotionally satisfying way. I would say, though, I resent marvel for asking me to go see all these movies because ultimately they do i mean they do and they don't all kind of matter and the quality differentials and like how much i care about them is very there's I, a huge difference <laughs> I, I don't care how much the russos apparently want me to go rewatch thor dark world i'm not gonna go rewatch thor dark world I've never is, seen Thor Dark World. Yeah, you don't need to. Lizzie, you don't need to. Apparently, 
you get all the important information about Thor Dark World in Endgame. So you don't need to. But see, I think that's sort of where I pause is that it's like, I know, like, I do not think that I missed anything by not seeing Thor 2 or the second Avengers. But I would say that Marvel thinks that I did. Well, and I, I have actually, I have fielded several questions from library patrons over the last couple of weeks, particularly from older people who have come to me and asked, okay, which of these movies do I need to see? So I've been thinking about this a lot and I, I distilled it down to a list of, I think like six movies mm-hmm. because I don't think, I don't think you need to have seen all 22 for Endgame to have an impact, but I do think that Marvel is rewarding the people who did. When, and you if made this makes... list before you saw the movie, correct? Correct. And actually, I made the list before I saw the movie, and I was incorrect because I had not seen Ant-Man and the Wasp before I watched Endgame. And it mm. turns out that that might be, apart from Infinity War, that might be the only movie that you have to see before you see Endgame for Endgame to make sense. Um, but I, I actually, I think that Endgame does something kind of interesting for a movie in that it does not stand on its own. Nope. Um, but I do think that it rewards different levels of investment. Like, I think you can go and enjoy it even if you haven't seen all 22, but it's a different experience if you have. And I don't know that I think that that's bad. It's it's an interesting way to make a movie. In general, I think movies should be able to stand on their own two feet, which was one of the things that I got mad about um, in Infinity War. But also, like, when you think about how many people have gone to see these movies, I don't know, ultimately, that I disagree with the decision to say, you know what? You guys have invested your time and your feelings and your money into this, and we're going to make a movie that is just for you. I mean, the, the movie is, what if we made a movie that was only a second and third act? Uh, because you have to come in with 22 other movies of first act behind you. And, like, the the emotional payoff of that is pretty big, because instead of spending one act getting to know all these people, we spent 44 hours getting to know these people, um, which means that those con- that condensed three-hour second and third act is, like, it, it, uh, concentrated. I just, and I feel like we'll get into this more and when we talk about the impact of this on popular culture, but I, I think I struggle with the idea now that every universe has to have individual movies for like every piece of it and they all connect and maybe they, you know what I mean? It's just like, Lizzie, are you not excited for the DC extended universe or the universal dark world, which I believe they have now canceled, but like, (laughs) but was a thing. I don't you want a fifth mummy movie? No, see, but I do, I do want that. Um, but we'll get back to that in just a sec. Um, (laughs) I agree with you completely, Liz. I think that just as like when we had Harry Potter and then we had a bunch of, 
you know, Harry Potter wannabes, like everyone is looking for the next, everyone wants to be the next Hunger Games. Everyone wants to be the next Harry Potter. Everyone wants to be the next Marvel because what they did was pretty amazing and made them so much money. I mean, let us not forget that the first movies made of Marvel properties were not made by Marvel Film Studios because Marvel could not afford to support their own film studio. No, and that's why we have all of these ownership issues with the X Men and Spider Man and the Fantastic Four. Um, not anymore. Thanks, Justice Department, for okaying a lot of corporate mergers. Well, you know, it's... it actually makes me <laughs> it makes me hope that Sony hangs on to primary ownership of Spider Man for a while longer. Mm-hmm. Um. So, like, I don't blame film studios for wanting to copy the Marvel method, but they're not doing it right. Like, DC has never had as convincing of a shared universe as Marvel has because all of their main heroes come from such vastly different environments that the Justice League is just kind of silly. DC had a lot of problems, um, and not, not to get too down this rabbit hole but this is going to be a massive spoiler for endgame um i was thinking about this after endgame and about the um scene where cap uh gets thor's hammer which was an amazing scene you know theater i was in applauded everyone's excited whatever Um, i made literal noises oh yeah everyone like my theater lost its mind um but i i was thinking about this later about how that would have been done in a dc universe and it would have been shot gorgeously in super slow-mo with chiaroscuro lighting and also crazy desaturated and would look like a painting and there would have been zero emotional resonance to the scene um whereas in this it's like it looked okay but it's all emotion is there even an artifact in dc that has that kind of weight to it like no thor's hammer is not only important to him but has like these bigger um like meaning has this like bigger moral center to it i don't know i think marvel has always been better at writing humanistic characters and dc does i think better mythic storytelling right well dc marvel is character forward whereas dc is like the, the, the DC movies um, are more, like, image-forward and, yeah, like, like grandiosity-forward, which is not great. I don't want to go yeah, too far to down this rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm, apart from, or in addition to everyone wanting to make a bazillion dollars on a shared universe... Which, just real quick side note, if Universal had been even an ounce more intelligent about how they'd gone about their shared universe, I think a world in which we get the Mummy and Dracula and Frankenstein and the Wolfman all in the same movie would be sick as heck. Yeah, I'd I'd watch that. They did it the dumb way. (laughs) Um, But what other... What what other changes do, have we seen? Like, so what, what other kind of ripple effects do we think that the MCU has caused? I, I think it has definitely changed the way we watch movies in the theater because now no one leaves a Marvel movie until the end credits are over. 
Although which I did has, look up ahead of time and saw that you did not have to sit through the credits of Endgame, which was phenomenal. I looked that up too, but I still sat through it. Gotta respect those people working on the movie. But also you're black. Well, and I understand. It's a I was movie. still... Oh, I peed three times during this movie. I did not play around. Um, I made my family... I made my family sit way too close so that I could sit on an aisle seat so that I would not be encumbered. Because when Kevin Feige said that there's no good place to pee, I said, you bring insult on my house, sir. I will pee when I want to. <laughs> also, that was such a lie. Yeah, that like... Oh, yeah. Thor, no, you Thor's can mom, pee at any point. great time. You can pee at any point during the entire second act, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got... I worked myself up and I forgot what I was saying. Oh, uh, impact on media landscape. Movie oh, landscape. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, what... And also... Oh, yeah, go go ahead, Pete. One thing that I don't think was unique to Marvel, but, like, Marvel somehow made 22 movies in 10 years, of which, let's just ballpark, like, 18 were really good movies. Um, and they all made a lot of money, even the bad ones, once the machine got rolling. Like, you know, I, I'm not sure if Hulk made a lot of I money, counted... but, like, whatever. I was going to say, I, I was talking about this the other day, I counted five that I thought were bad. Okay, yeah, so, like, four to five, that sounds about right. Um, it completely skewed, I think, profit expectations for movies, and I think was a large part in destroying the mid-level, like, movie as a viable thing. I just think of the fact that, like, Solo was considered a financial flop when it made, like, $600 million or something, um, which ten years ago would have been considered a massive success. Um and, and obviously there well, are I mean, other movies other involved thing... here. Like there's the Star Wars and Jurassic Parks and all the rest. But like Marvel was hitting it every year, twice a year for a long time. For sure. Um, the unique thing about Solo is that they had to film it twice because <laughs> this is true. The, uh, yeah, the original directors were making an entirely different movie before Disney was like, we don't feel good about this and had Ron Howard come in and basically redo the whole thing. Yeah. So I totally buy that that one was not profitable at $650 million. But I also get what you're saying. Like we measure, we measure a movie's success now in billions. Yeah. Like if it doesn't and make a billion is, international, what are we talking about here? That is wild to me. Um, Marvel also releases their movies simultaneously domestic and internationally. And I don't know of a lot of people that do that. Um, I would say in terms of other impacts, one thing that I am not super psyched about that I think Marvel is kind of leading the way on, and I know it's just because they're like connected with Disney, but I'm really not psyched about this. No, I know DC has done it too, but like the sort of property individual streaming service oh yeah because they do produce so much content that is like so wildly popular that they can command that and i am not looking forward to basically creating cable again except for on the internet yeah is that a is that a marvel thing or is that a disney thing though I think that Disney's more able to do it because they have Marvel, because they have these 22 movies that people really want to watch and will continue to be creating movies that people will want to watch. 
And, and they have Star Wars too. Like I'm, right. I, I am going to be signing up for Disney Plus because of The Mandalorian, and then I will be happy that I'm also watching Hawkeye and Vision and Scarlet Witch and all the rest. Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, like at, at the end of the day, I think it's it's a been a really fascinating experiment in like what you can demand from theater goers. The idea that like, I, I mean they. Thank God they did this because it allowed um, Spider-Man um, into the Spider-Verse to, to say, like, hey, guys, we know Spider-Man. It cool. Uh, but, like, even Spider-Man Far From Home, or, or not Far From Home, uh, Homecoming, which was before Into the Homecoming. Spider-Verse, was like, hey, we all know Spider-Man. Like, he showed up in Civil War. You know who Spider-Man is. We've done this. Like, just, if you don't know who he is, wiki him. It's fine. Um, it is It is wild to me that in 2008... Marvel said, we're going to spend millions of dollars making a movie about Iron Man and yeah. people are going to go see it and yeah. care about it. Yeah. And then we did. And then, tw- like, like, 10 years later, we're like, <laughs> Iron Man's the best character. Like, everyone knows what an Iron Man is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, but, because but, like, he's I mean, always like... been a big, he's always been a big player in Marvel comics. But when you think about Marvel, like, I feel like you think about the X-Men and Fantastic Four and Spider-Man before you get to, like, Iron Man and Captain America. You think of Captain America before Iron Man. You think of Hulk before Iron Man. Um, but, the, like, the this the similar weird thing is, like, and, and they've been doing this for a while. Like, Avengers, the original one, was a great example of, like, like they, they have literally been spending 10 years training an audience how to watch their movies. Um because they release all these individual movies and then these like sequels and like we all know how to watch movies and sequels and then they have avengers and it's like oh no you need to to have watched like these five other movies before you watch this one um and people but i think i actually again i think the avengers is a good illustration of how i do think you can watch that one without having seen the other movies i agree it's just more it's just more rewarding if you have. Right, and they, they do a lot of work setting up all the characters we already know um, because they were still training us how to watch it. By even Infinity War, it's like if you walk into that movie without having seen Guardians of the Galaxy, you're going to be like, who are half of these characters who are, like, major people? Yeah, which is a problem yeah, because Guardians are not my... Guardian is not my favorite Aww. of the... They're not my favorite. I will say I'm ex- I'm excited about a Guardians movie for the first time literally ever. When we do as Guardians, I think, I think Thor is going to be really funny <laughs> on that team. <laughs> also, Nebula, the like dark horse hero of Infinity War. Yeah. Or not Infinity War, Endgame. Um. Should we uh, so, spin to the next topic? <laughs> what are our? I was going to say, what are our favorite? Or, I, I, first, I would like, before we get kind of away from the Marvel movies specifically and talk about spoiler culture, what are our favorites? How many of these movies have we seen? How many did we love? Mm, who's our guys? What do we put What do we put in our top five? I mean, just we for the listeners out there, we compiled our list ahead of time and I think we were discussing before starting the episode that we all had sort of similar consensus in our first two of Captain America Winter Soldier and Black Panther which I think 
I think Captain America is just the strongest character in the Marvel universe. Personally, I think I, Black, <laughs> and then I think Black I, Panther will become the the next strong character. I I whatever I feel... deal with the devil Kevin Feige signed to get uh, Chris Evans was he he got his deal. He got his bargains worth. I feel such an insane amount of like deep emotional affection for Steve Rogers. Like I understand that this is a physical character or a, um, a human being fictional, <laughs> fictional <laughs> character. <laughs> I was going the other direction on that. <laughs> I understand that this is a fictional character, but also everything about Steve makes my heart hurt. I love him so much. I, I would also say He's that a Winter good Soldier, man. He's yeah. such a good man. And Captain America, the first Avenger could have been a disaster. Like, I was really concerned about it being campy and goofy and silly because I think the concept of Captain America does lean towards being campy and goofy and silly. Or too jingoistic <laughs> and doing a, like, the A on my head doesn't stand for France, uh, which was, like, a, they... a take on Cap in the uh, mid-aughts. Oh, yeah. No, he's been a disaster before. Yeah. But they played it so straight, and Chris Evans was so genuinely earnest in that role and i i found the end of his emotion i found the end of his arc in endgame to be completely emotionally satisfying oh a hundred percent marin had like, like two i was of her main fanfics come true within four days of each other and it was <laughs> a lot <laughs> i i would say one of the issues that i had with um, Endgame is that we didn't get enough time. I think both in Iron Man and Captain America, you have two very core friendships that are the building blocks of those characters, and I don't think that Endgame had room to cap those off in a satisfying way for me. Like, I would have enjoyed more time with Steve and Bucky. Mm-hmm. Mm. And with Tony and Rhodey, because those relationships are so important. Um, but yeah, and Winter Soldier is like it's it's an anti-government heist movie that they snuck into a superhero franchise. If, if I recall, it was the first time they successfully na- made a non-superhero superhero movie. Um, like exactly what you're saying that it's like a three days of the yeah. Condor, but with tights. Um, and it's also arguably, I think it's. If it's not the best, then it was the first good uh, Black Widow interpretation. Um, yes. Because she has, like, a platonic working relationship with a male character instead of a romantic relationship. And it's able well, to showcase has... her as an awesome spy. I mean, she shows up briefly in Iron Man 2. Yeah, but she's all there for TNA. True, but that's, like, the point. Because at that point, nobody knows that she's Black Widow. It... And her whole deal is... Yeah, but it's not great. Like, I think she her, she was finally done well in Winter Soldier. I, I think I'm more willing to give her kind of a pass, or to give that depiction kind of a pass in Iron Man 2, because it it is then established that she uses her sex appeal as part of her job. Mm. So, you know, however you feel about that, it's at least written into her character. Um, but yeah, her friendship with steve is so good yeah um and yeah and then we all had black panther as our number two yep and and i was going back and forth on black panther and winter soldier as my one versus two 
Um, and Martha, you and I were sort of disagreeing. We had like we had the same ranking, but sort of opposite reasons for it. Um, I don't know if you want well, to get into I, that, or if we should just cut this whole yeah, thing because we're already running no, long. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna run long. It's fine. End game ran long. Um, Three hour podcast. I, oh I made. <laughs> Um, I I feel that, and I, I want to be clear, Winter Soldier is an excellent film. I think that Black Panther may be a better movie just overall. Um, but I like Winter Soldier better, and Pete disagreed with me, which is fine. I actually think that it's a testament to the quality of both of those movies that we can feel that way about both of them. Yeah, yeah, because I'm like, I don't like a lot of, I don't think Black Panther's a better film, but I liked it more than Winter Soldier. Uh, and, and the fact that we're both, like, those are clearly both our top two Marvel movies. We're just splitting hairs so finely here. I also well, think that, oh, sorry. No, no, it's okay. Um, cool. I was just gonna say, I think I think Black Panther needed to be good in a way that Winter Soldier didn't. This is true. Hey, America in twenty eighteen and nineteen, sixteen. Yeah. In this our year, of, the year of our Lord, twenty nineteen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Liz, what were you about to say? Well, just what I was gonna say. I think part of why I think Black Panther felt. I haven't watched Winter Soldier in a while, to be fair. So this is like, I also have just seen Black Panther more recently, but I do feel like also for the first movie about a superhero, the fact that they had already introduced him, so we didn't have to go into like origin story, and also just like jumped right into this like completely unique environment and like stuff that we'd never seen before, and I think was just done so well. I think in some ways it felt it felt less like the sort of first of a superhero arc movie in a way mm. that maybe is why you could say it felt like a better movie than, you know what I mean? Just because I think it was mm -hmm. doing something a little differently. It, it also had the one thing that most Marvel movies don't have, which is an amazing villain. Mm -hmm. True. Uh, so we get to our number three spot and we all have different answers here. Um, I picked I... Doctor Strange for number three. I honestly, I don't understand why Doctor Strange doesn't show up in more people's like top films of the MCU. I thought that one was so fun. And like, I had no, I had negative expectations about it and was just like blown away by realization of concept and you know, I, I, how bizarre everything was, but I never felt confused or lost while I was watching it. Before Doctor Strange, my mental image of Doctor Strange was Doctor Orpheus from the Venture Brothers, which is excellent, <laughs> but also very archly camp. Um, and uh, after Doctor Strange, I'm like, oh no, this is my new interpretation of Doctor Strange. It's Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, it's my number four movie. I like it a lot. Also, like, you put Mads Mikkelsen and Tilda Swinton in a movie, and, like, I'm there. I found her scene in Endgame to be deeply affecting. Mm-hmm. Um, I also do want nice to acknowledge... Also nice to see, like, what she's doing during, like, the Battle of New York and Avengers. It's like, oh, no, like, it, it makes everything feel bigger. 
Um, I do want to acknowledge the slight wonkiness of casting a white woman to play a character that is an Asian man in the comics. Um, but that is honestly the topic for another podcast. Um, what did you guys have in number three? Um, I had Spider-Man Homecoming, personally, which I just, I know we touched on that a little bit, too, about kind of similar to Black Panther, it sort of subverted a little bit the, um, sort of the first origin story kind of thing. And also, I feel like I love the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. They hold a special place in my heart, but I loved having someone who actually looked like a teenager playing Peter Parker. Tom Holland is so good. He's so good. He's so endearing. This is another Marvel movie with an excellent villain and a perfect Spider-Man villain because it's not just a bad guy, it's the his love interest's dad, which is a, like, yes. you can't get more Spider-Man-y than, like, hey, we're having the, like, father-boyfriend talk and also the, the villain superhero talk. Uh... And it's Michael Keaton, who's bringing his crazy energy. Well, and also I think it goes, it illustrates something that I think is also reflective of the larger Marvel universe. Like, the people making these movies get these characters. Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons that these movies are so effective is because they're made by people who are fans and who understand like they understand the characters in a way that mean that we don't have to spend a hundred years on an origin story because they can just, they can put that into the story they want to tell or into the character. And we get that immediately. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, My Um, number three is Thor Ragnarok because it's crazy that it worked. Like (laughs) it saved the Thor movies from, you know, the dark shadow cast by the dark world. And was also, like, the most Jack Kirby of all the um, Marvel MCU movies. And, you know, gotta gotta shout that one out. Um, yeah, it, it's if, imminently if we had done... If we had done a top ten list, I think Thor Ragnarok probably would have been my number six. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four, I've got... So, number four, I'm straight cheating. Because <laughs> I went back and forth on this. <laughs> I went back and forth on this a lot. And I ended up putting... I'm, putting Iron Man 1 and Captain America the First Avenger both in my number four spot because I wanted to put both of them on the list for the same reasons. Like, they are movies that introduce a character that I had no investment in, and by the end of it, I basically would, like, it's like, oh, I would actually die for Steve Rogers. Um, (laughs) I I am astonished at how successful Captain America was because going in, I, like, especially when that movie came out, I'm like, "Eh, Captain America, whatever. Uh, and yeah, same. Like, at the end, I'm like, oh, Captain America. But I also want to acknowledge... Sorry. That's okay. I just wanted to, you know, pay homage to the fact that Iron Man was the beginning of it all and was the first time that we all said, oh, maybe we do have to be in the theater the first weekend of May every year for the rest of our natural (laughs) lives. Except for now it's April. I know. <laughs> and also February and June? 
and yeah, and true. They like no a... longer. <laughs> they used to kick off the summer movie season, and now they're just like, we don't care. We're gonna release a movie during the dead season, Go- going and it's gonna way... get nominated for best picture. <laughs> going Piss way off. far back in your uh, in your question, like that's one thing the MCU has done. It's sort of destroyed movie like release timing. That is pretty recent, though. Like for a long time, you could set your watch by. Um, you know, when the Marvel movie was going to come out. And I'm not sure when they started putting out two movies a year. Um, now they're putting out three movies but yeah. a year. Yes. <laughs> now now it's all out the window. <laughs> uh, Liz, you were going to say uh, something. Well, I was just going to say, I think it's interesting after talking about um, Winter Soldier and then thinking about the first Captain America, because I think the first Captain America also was a period piece. Yeah. And so... Like, I I don't know. The, maybe that's partly why Cap also holds a very special place in my heart, is they let his movies do something kind of transgressive for superhero movies each time until, mm. I guess, you get to Civil War, which is just Avengers two and a half. But it's like, first we have a period still... piece, then we have a heist. <laughs> Civil War was a better mm-hmm. Avengers two than Age of Ultron was. I haven't seen Age of Ultron. <laughs> don't. It's don't. It's fine. so bad. It gets more hate than it deserves. Because uh, it's bad. Um, but yeah, so real quick, I'm going to sneak my number five in here. Um, I capped my list with the first Avengers movie because it's still thrilling. Like, even after spending all this time post that with the characters, like, seeing them get together for the first time and overcome their, like, their alpha battle to be in charge for the first time and it's still it still really gets to me the the panning shot of all of them standing in a circle in the middle of new york as the city is falling apart around them is a great movie moment i was ecstatic when that sequence reappeared in endgame as well and um, Pete, your number four is Doctor Strange. My number four is Doctor Strange. Um, should I just jump ahead to number five and and? Yes, please. Great. Uh, my number <laughs> five, I yeah, I hemmed and hawed on this one a lot, and this might be pure recency bias, but I think I'm gonna put Endgame at my number five. Um, That's so interesting. So I there were problems with it, and if you were to ask me this question in six months, uh, I might have a different answer for my number five i'm giving it this because it is I, i'm rewarding audacity i'm rewarding giant swings and i'm especially re- uh, rewarding the fact that it wasn't a three-hour punch fight which is what i worried it was going to be um very trying very hard to go in with like no expectations and no understanding of what was happening um other than like watching the trailer the fact that they kill thanos before the credit sequence happens and then the middle of the movie is, like, a slow, like, understanding of grief and then time heist. Like, I am always in for time heist uh, in any movie ever. So it it did so many things. Like, obviously, I was expecting them to, use, to somehow use quantum nonsense uh, to bring people back. Um, and obviously, we're going to bring people back. And obviously, we're going to have a big fight at the end. But I was so worried that it was going to be two and a half hours of that fight at the end after we use the time stone to snap people back. Um, And it wasn't that. And instead it was a very, it was a complex movie that was a celebration of all that had come before, 
and gave two of our Pinnacle characters, like, good send-offs. I'm really unhappy with what it did with Black Widow, um, mm. but... Welcome to my TED Talk. Yeah, I know. Um, but, like, that has been Black Widow's entire role in the MCU, is to, like, have... Mm. is to be mishandled. Um, Just and... wait for her movie. <laughs> Yo, I'm sure that'll be great. Um... <laughs> So, so yeah, like, this might be a recency bias thing, but because it subverted my expectations in ways that I like, and because I thought it was an effective cap to a 22-movie experiment, um, that, like, it wasn't, it wasn't a 100% success, but the fact that it was an 80% success is astonishing to me. One might even say it was marvelous. Ha, 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 ha. No. <laughs> Shut it down. Shut down the podcast. Um, so now that I'm looking for a new co-host. Um, <laughs> so, Liz, you also had Captain America in your number four spot. Yes. And then Thor Ragnarok is my number five. And I will be honest, you guys, I was struggling a little bit to complete after my first three mm. and I think part of it for me is that the Marvel movies except for the like really glaring outliers that are just bad they're all just like pretty good you know and which is great like that's pretty incredible that they've been able to maintain a sort of standard of quality across so many movies but I also feel like I wouldn't and I, I've seen so many of them. I love them. I loved Endgame. I've been very emotionally impacted by these movies, but I also think that there is a little bit of a, like, homogeneity to them that mm -hmm. makes it hard to, like, pick out top five, if that makes For sense. For sure. I, I definitely think that there was, a while, there was a period there where I was just like, ugh, another one. A, a lot of yeah, because you knew you knew exactly what the structure was going to be. Um, it's why I get excited whenever they do something like Ant Man or Winter Soldier, where it's not the same formula. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, I I feel like we were getting a string there for a while that was like you you, you knew what each of the beats was going to be. You knew what each of the acts was going to be. Um, yeah, and I was kind of debating putting Ant-Man and the Wasp, but I also, like, similarly, Pete was thinking it was recency bias because Lucas and I probably watched it about a month ago. Mm -hmm. But that I did really... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is, like, most of them, like, there's some humor, you know, there's there's some good action scenes, like, there's some struggling with, like, power and responsibility. Yeah, they're fun. Marvel's yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> I really wanted to um, put um, Marvel properties that are not made by Marvel, but I thought that would be mm, not in the spirit of the Spider-Verse number one superhero movie ever That's made. That's different. <laughs> it's so, it's, guys, it's so good. Yeah, um, but like, and then also like Logan. But... Oh, Logan. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are our thoughts on Dark Phoenix? A big old I'm shrug. Very excited. Oh no, I'm thrilled. Mm. I'm super, super looking forward to it. I was thinking about this in the context of Game of Thrones, about how impressed I am with how 
um, Sophie Turner has grown as an actress, mm-hmm. and I am really excited to see this role for her. I she is um, she is a great uh, Jean Grey. Uh, before we get too off topic, <laughs> I would like to briefly discuss how our pop culture landscape has gone has lost their minds about spoilers. It has. It has gotten to the point where, so I turned, tw- I took Twitter off of my phone the weekend that I saw Endgame, not because I was afraid of being spoiled, but because I was so tired of seeing people get indignant and mad about things that were not spoilers. Like, some guy got mad that a reviewer said that he liked it. Yeah, that's insanity. And that's... What? Oh, plot is not a spoiler. Oh, oh I, I well, kind of disagree, but I'm going to put a big old asterisk next to that disagreement. Yeah, like, what do we feel constitutes a legitimate spoiler? Character death. I I think it depends a lot on the property. So I... I was thinking in terms of Game of Thrones, which, spoiler for Game of Thrones Season 8, <laughs> forthcoming, speaking of spoiler culture. Um, before Episode 2, uh, I got, like, I, I ended up watching them, like, a, a few days later. Um, before Episode 2, I got spoiled that Arya and Gendry had a sex scene. And I was like, oh, that kind of sucks, I know it, but it's just a nice character. Like, it's a character moment, it's a character spoiler that's fine. I don't care. Um, I mean, like, whatever. I would prefer not to have known that, but it's not ruining my day. Um, I avoided any spoilers for episode three, but Marin got spoiled by some bleep person on her Facebook saying that Arya kills the White Walker. And he must have posted this the minute that it happened. Um, and that would have pissed me off because that is a massive story turn um martha you were saying character death but i think it's more than that i think it's big plot point um and and like a twist not a twist but like the the climax of the episode um and that would have driven me crazy if i had known that well so i was reading the av club's review of endgame and like i just i think that it has gone too far when a review that is going to discuss basic plot points of a movie has to put a spoiler warning at that point, like don't engage in reviews. I wanted to know a little bit about the plot going in. So I was looking at reviews and I think that like, like, do you, would you have thought it was a spoiler to know that there's like a time heist? Cause that's like the middle of the movie. Endgame feels weird to me because it was a, both like such an event and B like, the second half of a bigger i was really happy that i went into endgame with zero expectations or understanding but But like most of the movies like if i'm watching like a a review for like jurassic world or some movie that i don't care about then yeah tell me there's like evil evil rich people buying dinosaurs that's fine spoiler for jurassic world i don't think i don't think that telling somebody that they go back in time to fi- I don't see. I think you could go as far as saying they go back in time to find the Infinity Stones. Like that does not actually strike me as being that big of a spoiler for that movie, because that tells you something about what the plot is, but it tells you nothing about why do they need to do that. What are the circumstances under which they manage to do that? Like I, I... all of this sort of like 
end end game feels weird because it is the second half of a six hour movie. Um, almost which any, I have feelings about that. Right, 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 but... Yeah, totally. Uh, almost any other movie, I I'd agree with you one hundred percent. Um, there's there's an uh, article on Vox.com from Todd Vanderwerf, which we'll put in the show notes, um, where he's talking about this. He's talking about like end game Game of Thrones spoiler culture being entirely out of whack these days. Um, and he comes up with three sort of like rules for spoilers on the internet, which I'll read to you because I like them a lot. Um, and you guys can tell me if you agree or disagree. Um, mm-hmm. rule number one is never, ever, ever spoil something for someone intentionally. That makes you a dick. I think we can all agree with that. Um, number two, the closer you are to the initial release of something, the more incumbent it is on the one who could spoil it to put some sort of spoiler warning up. Um, and then number three, if you are spoiled accidentally by somebody not being a dick, then, like, that's on you, don't get mad at them, um, live your life. I mean, I think those are fine. I think they still depend very heavily on defining what a spoiler is, which is going to be subjective from person to person, and and I think the, the main crux of what people have gotten so sensitive about... That's true. I feel like it. some of that goes to number three of, like, if you're going to get mad at a reviewer for saying that they liked a movie, don't read reviews because that's what they're paid to do. Yeah, I think that if you choose to, like, I engage in a lot of pop culture and discussions of pop culture online, and so I'm pretty whatever about spoilers because... I choose to engage in the conversation. I think that Mm -hmm. it drives me crazy when people want to be a part of the conversation, but want everyone to cater it around their level of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I think that's some nonsense. Like I also, there is absolutely a time limit on spoilers. Yes. Uh, Elsewhere in this article, he says something like a week for a TV show and a, like a month or something for a movie is when you need to have spoiler warning tags. I would say a little longer for TV shows just because we do live in an age where very few people watch things live. Sure. I, I might have actually swapped those time frames and just input my own sense of what the proper time frame should be. So, Well, um. <laughs> I also think that TV depends if it's like a Game of Thrones week to week or if it's like an episode dump on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, like, I... Lizzie, like you, I'm someone who, like, engages in pop culture. I like reading reviews and stuff. Um, I also have to watch Game of Thrones not on the day it airs, either the Monday or the Tuesday after. Um, So what I do is I basically avoid the internet or I scroll past anything that has a Game of Thrones picture on it. Um, Yeah, you don't go looking for it. I don't go looking for it, and I avoid it, and... Once or twice you get burned, because, like, and I think this is on the, like, the websites, like, if you have a picture of, like, Gendry and Arya making out the day after that episode drops, that's kind of a bad picture to, like, have as your image for your article. Because um, it's sort of like the accidental, oh, I'm scrolling through AV Club and there's just a picture that I can't unsee. Right, um, and then they say in the text, like, post behind the jump for spoilers. And it's like, well, you kind of already right, did like, that. Like, the picture's there. It's, like, it's too late. Um, we've seen it all. Uh... And so that's where I get a little bit more like, come on, guys, be better. Um, but other than that, I'm avoiding the headlines. I'm avoiding the articles themselves. 
that's on me. Don't get pissy because I'm saying I like the movie or that I'm saying that the movie's three hours long. I think I partly am just like sort of whatever about the spoiler conversation. I mean, no, I actually, I not whatever about the conversation, but just in general, I feel like there are very few times when knowing like a spoiler actively decreases your enjoyment of something. Like I would say speaking about like Endgame and Game of Thrones, those are two very specific instances where I do think that spoilers impact that. But for most stuff, it does not really matter for me personally. There have been, there have been media studies on the idea that being spoiled for something actually increases your enjoyment of it. Um, I don't remember what the logic behind that is, but I did, I do remember thinking it was interesting, um, that apparently science supports being spoiled. Yeah. And it, like, if it's a non-event thing, I don't really care. Uh, but for an event thing, it's like, I want to go in pretty even key like empty tabula rasa on it is what i was trying to say oh what, what one last thing on spoilers do you i feel like most people who care this much about spoilers are like men because men nerds are the worst <laughs> uh and, and it feels like that's all part and parcel of the same group who's like pissy about everything about their cherished possession. I always think it's funny that men, and I don't at me. I'm using men as a general term. I brought if it you, up. <laughs> if you at me to say all, not all men, then I will assume not all men, but absolutely you. Um, <laughs> for for a group of people that has to have things like tailored to them to be more manly i don't know that i've ever heard another group of people cry so hard when things don't go their way also women are definitely more emotional about things right this well, this, sure. this same group who cry about like us being told that a movie say, was good I, I cry about professional sports all the time <laughs> P, did you cry in Endgame at all? Um, no, but I don't really cry at movies. I got really excited a lot. Um, and I was in a theater that where, like, it was a chat, it was a Thursday opening night, like, theater, so people were chatty, people were excited. I got into that energy a lot. Um, I didn't cry, and it also was maybe because I was sitting next to Marin, who was crying a lot, so I was kind of laughing a little. <laughs> rude i mean not at her but like at the at the you know the combination as as somebody who cried through the entire movie (laughs) um i cried when it was sad i cried when it was happy i cried when it was overwhelming um i cried a lot (laughs) i I didn't cry but i shouted you know like woo etc so emotions were felt (laughs) oh my god i had like i stayed through the end of the credits just so that i could collect myself Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. afterwards like i couldn't i couldn't formulate sentences without crying over steve rogers again so (laughs) (laughs) 
crying over the logical inconsistencies of him showing up at the end. Me too. Listen, it's fine. <laughs> no, I'm it's kidding. Qu- I obviously cried. Come on. It's quantum, Lizzie. You can do anything in quantum. <laughs> there's that bothers me because there's one. There is an easy out for them that would have made that make so much more sense. But they had to have their cute little scene on the bench. Ugh. They talked about creating different timelines. I know. All they had to do was have him show back up on the pad when he was supposed to and just be all old. Done. Yeah. We have to wrap Quantum. this up. We are going we are going as long as this movie. <laughs> Um, so final thoughts on, oh, my last question. Where do we go from here? What do we see as being the future of the MCU? Um, well, Feige, 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 him, that guy, that guy, that guy, um, has said that Spider-Man Far From Home is the actual end of phase three, which I'm picturing as like the, your aperitif after your giant, you know, 10 course meal. Um, well, probably just because it's going to show what it's like to have come back after five years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, obviously, there's going to be a Black Panther 2, and hopefully a Doctor Strange 2, and then a Captain Marvel 2, and I'm kind of picturing just them doing a new, doing the same thing, but with new characters, and that they will do that would, until the end of time. I would very much like the next iteration of the Avengers to have Valkyrie on it. Ooh, heck yeah, Queen of Asgard. Also, she Um, and Carol are in love. And Brie Larson and Tessa Thompson condone that, so that makes it true. It's it's Twitter canon. (laughs) Um, Were you saying also, Martha, that that uh, one gay person at the support group wasn't enough uh, representation for you? (laughs) There was a gay person at the support group? Yeah, yeah. I was talking oh, about his... on a date with a man. True. No, I actually, I did notice that. And I I did kind of enjoy that it was just like a background detail. Um, and then uh, uh, Carol Danvers got that awesome haircut. The, the haircut is so good. <laughs> it's so good. Well, and her amazing funeral suit, like... Mm. Carol Danvers is channeling some pretty hardcore lesbian energy in these two movies, and I think it would be a waste to not acknowledge that in the canon of the movies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, and now Sam Wilson is effectively going to be stepping into the role of Captain America, which I think is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and Bucky are getting a TV show on oh. the Disney Network. I'm glad Bucky gets to do something, because he was in yes. two seconds of Endgame. <laughs> Um, and there is the current Iron Man character in the comics is a really delightful uh, black girl named is that Riri. Iron? Is so that, uh, Iron that Heart would be or something. Yes, Ironheart. Cool. So that would be something cool for them to explore. Um, but I think we can safely say that we're at least curious, if not outright excited, to see where the MCU goes from here. I just hope it's different because I feel like this is such a kind of conclusive, obviously these characters are still going to exist, but I feel like this is such a conclusive arc for this sort of time that before they ask me to get invested in this again, I feel like they need to convince me why I want to check back in because I have major superhero fatigue, you guys. 
Oh God, yes. You're, you're gonna agreed. Need, you're gonna need like a new phase one where it's not all about interconnected universes. It's just like people having their own solitary adventures. Yeah, I don't know. I, like, give me more Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Verse. Like, give me more unique ways of mm. telling these stories. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just. I mean, Doctor Strange is your answer to all of these questions. <laughs> So, I think that is a good place to wrap up. Um, Lizzie, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people or you're not really you're not really super visible online, right? No, I have an Instagram, but it's not for randos. <laughs> That's totally fine. Do you have anything that you want to plug while you have airtime and a limited audience? <laughs> no <laughs> okay uh you can find our show um on twitter and instagram at dydyh podcast uh you can find us on facebook if you just search did you do your homework um you can email email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com uh you can visit our home on the web at homeworkpodcast.com um, and you can find me everywhere on the internet at Magical Martha. Uh, I am very active on Instagram. I try not to be active on Twitter, but I'm, you know, into things that are bad for me. Uh, and I also write a newsletter that comes out whenever I feel like it. Um, you can find that at tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha. Pete, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter where I'm too active, uh, at Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000, politics and pop culture, and that's always my go-to, but looking at my last couple tweets, it's basically an even split between politics and pop culture. Um, and one comment about the weather. So, there you go. And now the weather. (laughs) Uh, so, for our next episode, there's a very good chance that Pete and I are going to be talking about Game of Thrones, so we will continue in this streak of talking about big things, as they happen. Um, and specifically because be the s- episode is coming out two days after the finale. So it will be all Correct. fresh in all of our minds. Your homework is to watch all of Game of Thrones. All, all of Game of Thrones. All which, of it. I mean, at this point, is only three more episodes. No, so, I'm, I'm talking know, like the, the two and a half days worth of it. You got two weeks, guys. Am, you can do it. I am sure that somebody out there has done a list of here are the episodes you must watch before this season. Now that's quitter's work. <laughs> and on that note uh thank you everybody for listening pete have i forgotten anything that's supposed to go in this outro not that i can remember cool class dismissed i would never bring a bag of chips onto a recording there's the (laughs) crunching and also the crinkling uh yeah and also and also once the guinea pigs heard the crinkling Guinea pig screaming. <laughs> so you guys want to like stay around and talk for a while longer or, or you gotta no, go do because something? I actually I still have to do all of my stuff and also go to work tomorrow morning. So Yeah, I'm really sorry that it's 9.30 and this episode that was supposed to go uh, short did not.